Welcome to a nonfiction story cast about people in Seattle who built churches and how they did it. I'm Cindy Safranoff. I'm the author, and this is Dedication, building the Seattle branches of Mary Baker Eddy's church, a centennial story. Episode 44, Seventh Church Service. At the November 21, 1923, first meeting of the Finance Committee at Seventh Church of Christ Scientist, Seattle, the committee chair, Justice M. Matthews, read a short article called Service, comprised of a quote from Warren G. Harding. Service is the greatest thing in the human calendar, and the better we equip ourselves, the better we serve because in the expansion of the mind comes the better understanding of how best to serve. No matter what your fortune in life, the greatest compensation that will come to you, tomorrow or next year or the closing year of your life, will be the consciousness that you have somehow been of service, either to your friends, your state, or your common country. This is the greatest thing that can happen. This same patriotic quote from the late U.S. President was included in a section called Service in the committee's lengthy report to the Church Board, along with a quote from Mary Baker Eddy. Giving does not impoverish us in the service of our Maker, neither does withholding enrich us. This pair of statements about service was apparently intended to sweeten the committee's unanimous recommendation to adjust church salaries downward. Before Seventh Church could move forward with building, they needed to overcome a financial deficit. A new approach was being taken on their building project. Perhaps the grand opening of Fourth Church just a few weeks earlier, prompted them to take action. For four years, Seventh Church had been meeting at Queen Anne Hall at First Avenue West and West Roy Street. This was a rented room also used for dances and club meetings. Seventh Church members wanted a church home of their own, but at the pace their building project was going, it might be a very long time before they even started building. Their immediate problem was financial. They were running a deficit on basic operating expenses. The Finance Committee was of the opinion that it would not be proper to use their modest building fund to pay operating expenses. And in fact, they emphasized the need to accumulate more in the building fund so that they could move forward with building an edifice to manifest the progress befitting an active and devoted Christian science organization. Church salaries were by far their greatest expense. Significantly lowering them would go a long way toward balancing their budget. Their highest paid church employee was their first reader. At $75 per month, or $900 per year, Seventh Church was paying about what other Christian science churches in Seattle were paying their first readers, considerably less than many common jobs, 
The salary was comparable to what a live-in housemaid earned, or a little less than the starting salary for a grade school teacher. A first reader might spend many hours each week in prayer and spiritual study to select just the right readings and hymns for church services on Sundays and Wednesdays and practicing a smooth delivery. But it did not need to be a full-time job, and much of the work could be done evenings and weekends. Second reader, a role which had significantly fewer duties, at Seventh Church was paid $50 per month, or $600 per year. For someone in the public practice of Christian Science Healing, a reader salary would offer compensation for possibly having to reduce their office hours because of their reader duties. For someone considering going into the healing practice, a reader salary provided a steady, although modest, income for three years while he or she established a professional reputation and met the requirements for advertising in the Christian Science Journal. Being elected to the readership was an opportunity to dedicate full-time to Christian Science. But not every reader made this leap and neither the first nor second readers at Seventh Church at that time were advertising a public healing practice. Seventh Church had such a small congregation, only about 200 adults on a typical Sunday, that the Finance Committee felt that this level of pay for readers was not justified. They recommended reducing first reader salary to $50 per month and second reader to $30. This put reader salaries a little lower than what the reading room librarian and assistant librarian were earning, positions which really were full-time jobs. It would be unjust to reduce the salaries for the reading room staff, but the finance committee felt that the expense involved is out of proportion for a church of our size. The finance committee recommended instead that Seventh Church negotiate with other branch churches to establish a joint downtown reading room, like First and Fourth had done at the Empire Building, as soon as possible. But even with lowering the salaries for their readers, musicians, and the treasurer, something much more significant was needed because their building fund balance was rising so slowly. The building committee, under the leadership of John S. Gibson, was starting to advocate for earnest and intensive work to raise funds. Mr. Gibson did not mean fundraiser events or solicitations. He recommended that the first reader stop making repeated appeals for money at Sunday services. Gibson favored a plan that encourages free will offering. The intensive work he recommended for the membership was, like the expectation for his job as chair of the building committee, primarily prayer. Several articles on church building were published in the Christian Science periodicals, which they had probably all read. The same article by Anna Friendlich, which was published in 1908, just before the members of First Church began their building project, was published again, reminding readers that before the walls of salvation could appear, 
within the pure heart, heaps of rubbish must be excavated from the consciousness. Love of money, improvidence, sloth, self-indulgence, extravagance, fear of poverty, business superstitions, rainy day prudence, unintelligent management, all that makes for lack. A new article by Ella W. Hogue emphasized the need to rise above the temporal mortal viewpoint of dollars and cents. Most recently, Mildred's spring case emphasized the importance of individual service as critical to church building. The question, are we ready to build, can be answered only as each individual member asks himself, am I ready to build? If he looks within himself and finds an honest answer to that question, the aggregate result of the ballot as a whole will show better than any other way whether the membership is ready to undertake building. Am I ready to build? What does it mean for one to put yes on his ballot? It means that he is ready to do his part, to do constructive thinking, and not destructive, to serve the church better than ever before, for the service rendered in the past is not enough for today, to put God first, to give up material things that the spiritual idea may unfold to invest wholeheartedly like the poor widow in the best and surest of investments, church building. The result of the ballot can be safely left in love's hands. For who would want to build if the membership is not ready? Or who would want it delayed if the time is ripe? Gibson and his family came from French Canada and now they were naturalized citizens. Gibson was a natural for the building committee because of his professional background in carpentry. He had also begun advertising locally as a Christian science practitioner. Just a few years earlier, he and his daughter Anna published an article in the Christian Science Journal recounting an incident related to financial security and personal safety that happened when Anna was a teen. In the middle of the night, a burglar broke into their home on the lower west side of Queen Anne Hill and entered Anna's bedroom. The man had been searching the house for valuables to steal to support his whiskey habit. Anna opened her eyes to the dark image of a man aiming a gun in her direction. She immediately put to use what she had learned in Christian science. I knew that God's child could not be harmed, she shared. After a brief exchange with the man, Anna put her face into her pillow to realize the truth for a moment. Then she lifted her head and asked, Do you know whose presence you are in? After the man replied, No, she proceeded to declare the presence of God. She surprised the man by telling him, your true selfhood is God's child. She told him that she was a Christian scientist and gave him a Sunday school lesson.
Finally, she took his hand and asked him to promise to rise above the curse of whiskey. He promised to try and left without taking any of the family's valuables. Anna concluded her story by sharing, In our family circle, the morning was spent in a happy consciousness of the wonderful manifestation of the dominion of spiritual understanding over mortal error. Mr. Gibson, who had seen the intruder leave the house through the pantry window, recounted that his younger daughter, Viola, had witnessed the whole situation in the bedroom without feeling any fear. Corroborating Anna's testimony, he wrote, We were all very thankful for our experience and for what we have learned through the teachings of Christian science. In his role as chair of the building committee, Gibson had been facing the issue of lack of building funds. To the Christian science way of thinking, a more subtle but equally aggressive problem. Now Gibson was making an open appeal to the members for more active demonstration of what they were all learning about Christian science and teaching the children in their very full Sunday school. In preparation for the January 1924 business meeting, Gibson repeated Ella W. Hogue's words. Are you, as individuals, ready to undertake church building? Do you, as individuals, see a new church? This represented a fresh new approach for Seventh Church after several years of working toward building and not getting anywhere. Back in January 1920, at their very first Sunday church service, by dedicating the first collection to the building fund, they set a clear goal of having their own church building as soon as possible. They considered purchasing an existing building, Bethany Presbyterian Church, which was across the street from their Queen Anne Hall location. They appreciated being able to meet at Bethany Church for their annual membership meeting in December 1921, but when they met there again the following March to discuss possible purchase of the building, the members decided against it. The Bethany Church seemed too small to meet their long-term need. They also considered leasing the church as a temporary solution, but instead they continued at Queen Anne Hall. They wanted to stay at the foot of the hill near downtown. The next month, they purchased a building lot one block north for about $6,500 and created a five-member building committee appointed by the board. The building committee's assignment was to hire an architect to draw up plans for a church to seat 600 for a cost of $40,000. The work began immediately. Their architect, by unanimous choice, was Daniel Riggs Huntington. Mr. Huntington estimated that what they really wanted would cost $75,000 for the building, plus thousands more for furnishings and the organ. It could be built in two phases, starting with the basement, as Fourth Church did, and the first unit would fit their budget. But the cost for the complete building seemed un 
unthinkable to this small membership. They asked the architect to create a design for a complete building for $40,000. Huntington then presented a design concept for a smaller building. The membership was willing to go ahead with this plan, but after several joint meetings of the building committee, the board, and the finance committee, the overwhelming sentiment was that they needed to slow down and give time for thoughtful deliberation. As the financial planning process continued, there was a growing conservatism among the members. Concerns about the experiences of other branch churches were influencing them, especially in regards to borrowing money. It was no longer difficult to find banks willing to finance Christian Science Church projects. Seattle Title Trust Company, the bank that made the jumbo loans to Fourth Church, was willing to work with Seventh Church on a mortgage plan. But the members of Seventh Church were hesitant to borrow. As Gibson had explained, it has come to our attention that some churches that have disposed of bonds are now facing a situation somewhat embarrassing. It was one thing to borrow funds, and it was another thing to pay the debt off. It seemed that a building project for less than 10000 would be more prudent. In response, Huntington proposed a bungalow-style building to seat 430 people for $11,500. Daniel Riggs Huntington was a local Christian scientist and a member of First Church of Christ Scientists Seattle. Although he had only recently become a member of First Church, he had lived in Seattle since 1905, when they were holding services in the bungalow-style chapel downtown on 6th Avenue between Marion and Columbia Streets. Huntington was almost certainly familiar with the architectural history of the Christian science community in Seattle, and his bungalow structure was probably similar to that building. The members of Seventh Church approved the plan at a meeting on July 25, 1922, and gave the directive to proceed, knowing there was still a balance of debt on the building lot. Within a few weeks, Huntington provided sketches and a model of the design. At the next meeting on August 16th, with a rising vote, the membership authorized the building committee to move forward with the bungalow project. But after the vote, a hesitancy was expressed among the membership. The board asked the committee to hold off on the final design work. That fall, more special meetings were held. There was discussion, but no decisions or directives. Financial concerns were probably expressed because the building committee scaled down the project even further. For less than the cost of the interest alone on a $40,000 building, they could build a small, temporary structure that would serve the church's basic needs until they could afford something better. The concept was similar to the temporary structure that First Church had built at 16th and Denny 
and had used for three years prior to erecting their stone edifice. Many of the members of Seventh Church had previously been members of First Church, so had either experienced that temporary structure or had at least heard about it. This temporary approach, costing between $2,700 and $3,000, would afford simple and suitable accommodation for a growing Sunday school and also serve the needs of the congregation. In December, they held their annual membership meeting on the top of the hill at Queen Anne Congregational Church on the corner of Queen Anne Avenue and Gaylor Street. At this meeting, all the building options were put on a ballot. There were five propositions. There was the original concept for $75,000, the first unit basement of that building for $30,000, the smaller building for $40,000, the bungalow for $11,500, or the temporary structure for less than $3,500. They also had a sixth option on the ballot to defer the building project. When the ballots were counted, the winning option was to defer. The whole project was put on hold. Almost nothing happened on the building project during the year 1923, and almost nothing was added to the building fund. The church was generous toward other things. They contributed to the Fifth Church Building Fund, A significant gift was sent to the Christian Science Church in Astoria, Oregon, and a collection was taken for the Japanese Relief Fund, organized by the Mother Church, for supplies for earthquake, tidal wave, and fire aid. But there was no progress toward building. There was still debt on the building lot, and the church was running a deficit for normal operating expenses, despite the fact that the members in attendance were contributing very generously. At the end of the year, at the request of the members, the Finance Committee was created to study the deficit problem, resulting in lowering church salaries, using better accounting practices, and putting the building fund into its own separate bank account. In January 1924, Seventh Church began the new year by taking a different approach in their work on the building project. In the spirit of the recently published articles on church building by Anna Friendlich, Ella W. Hogue, and Mildred Spring Case, the new focus was on spiritual practice, looking within. Along with more detailed information on finances and financing, the building committee's call letter asked the members to search their own hearts about their own willingness to serve selflessly. Gibson asked the members, Are you, as individuals, ready to undertake church building? Do you, as individuals, see a new church? Thanks for listening to Dedication by me, Cindy Safranoff. 
All events and characters in this story are as true and accurate as the available sources. All opinions are mine. To support and learn more about this groundbreaking research project and read my writing, visit cindysafranoff.com.